Welcome to Otherwise, Talking Women on SAFM, South Africa's news and information leader. I'm Shadow Twala, Hazel Makuzeni is my producer, and Rob Parkin is our technical producer. Our number is 0892102010, or email otherwise at safm.co.za. Otherwise, on SAFM. On Otherwise today, we take a look at the nursing profession. And we speak with Nelouise Gaya of the Nurses Education Association and Dorothy Matebene, President of the Democratic Nursing Organization of South Africa. Then later on, we speak to pilot Tracy Curtis-Taylor, who will embark on a journey to fly an open cockpit biplane from Cape Town to Goodwood in the UK. That's brave, if you ask me. Packed with all the latest arts and culture news, the October issue of Classic Field magazine celebrates the 30th anniversary of the KZN Philharmonic Orchestra and explores the kinetic sculptures of local artist Justin Fisk. Included with this issue is the first edition of Classic Field's annual Classic Woman Supplement, profiling the formidable women driving the arts in South Africa. Get your copy of Classic Field magazine now at selected newsagents and bookstores. For more, visit www.classicfield.coza. Africa's biggest news platform, SABC News, knows what's going on in your world. Get all your latest business news updates on News at One. News at One hosts business leaders, movers and shakers from industries, and it brings you live market updates from the JSE. Get it all from 1 p.m. Find us on Channel 404 on DSTV, 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. SABC News, all local, all global, all the time. SAFM brings you live, interactive, topical news from current affairs, global warming debates, women's issues, to interviews with top literary connoisseurs. To join our conversations, visit our website on safm.co.za. Follow us on Twitter at SAFM Radio or simply like our Facebook page, SAFM Radio. SAFM, South Africa's news and information leader. Otherwise, on SAFM. Joining me now on the phone is the president of the Democratic Nursing Organization of South Africa, Dorothy Matebeni, to talk to us about the state of nursing in the country. Welcome, Dorothy, and thank you for your time. Uh, thank you, and good afternoon to you and to the listeners. Thanks for joining us. Now, tell us, is your organization similar to a union for nurses? Yes, we have got a professional component and also a trade union component in our organization, Dinosa. How does it work? It works very well that we deal with issues of the profession. Mm-hmm. Like we uh, recently we had a South African, uh, second South African Nurses Conference, which we are addressing the issues of the profession. And we also have the trade union component, which we address the issues of socio-economic welfare conditions, where we do bargaining issues, you know, so negotiating for better conditions and salaries for the nurses. So that's how it works. But aren't you talking to yourselves, really? Because on one side you, you're representing issues of nurses, but you're also the organization that, that, that uh, looks after them. We, we, are, we are representing nurses because anything... For nurses, it should be dealt with by nurses mm. because there is no other person outside nursing who can actually represent us as nurses. So we have to represent the nurses wherever we are. 
whether it's a professional side or whether it is the trade union side, mm-hmm. because the issues are affecting nurses. Well, your, your conference was hailed a success between the 16th and the 18th, and your theme was, it is our right to care. But yes. we often hear the call to bring back a calling for those who really care. What has changed? Because we read, as I say, we read about nurses' negligence. We read about nurses not um, uh, adhering to the oath they signed. Uh, what can you tell us about that? Well, I would say there are various issues that make uh, some of the nurses to actually do what they do. But we don't condone the wrong things which nurses are doing. Mm-hmm. But we are living in an environment, we are practicing in an environment that is very hostile for the nurses to actually practice their profession. We look at challenges that are facing us, like workplace safety that mm-hmm. is not there, and even the issue of supplies and equipment where nurses are supposed to be doing their work, but they are not able because there are no tools to actually do the job. And also the issue of resources. You know, when there's only one nurse for 40 patients, it really puts a strain on the nurse. It makes a quite a huge workload, and you'll find that really that person will not be very positive if you put in that situation. Mm. So these are the issues that are actually affecting nurses. There are other issues, for instance, around that, the issue of leadership where you find institutions that are not having uh, good leaders that are actually have to drive the institutions so that they can perform better. So, and they, they increase in the burden of diseases. It is also one of the things that is actually affecting the nurses because they must carry all that load of the, uh, of the citizens. So, now, you're at your conference, you, you, you're mooting to have a chief nursing officer. What would yes. they do? Would they fill the role of leadership that you're talking about? Yes, yes. The chief nursing officer will actually play that role of leadership. Because if you don't have a leader as a nurse in the country, who actually tells, like, for instance, the minister, who, what are the issues surrounding nurses? So at least now we're going to have a person that is going to be directly communicating with the DGs, with the minister, to tell us these are the issues that nurses are facing in this country. So that is why it is important that a province must have a nursing directorate so that the chief nursing officer directly communicates with the director in the in the in the province mm. so it is going to work it is going to work that way because you still find provinces who don't have nursing directorate where issues of the nurses can be discussed and challenges can be addressed so if it's like that then it's not going to work so it's important that provinces are actually up to standard so that they can communicate directly with the chief nursing officer and we need to support the chief nursing officer that is going to be appointed very soon Let's go back to the oath or the pledge. Can you just remind us what it says? And do, do, do nurses even take into account or consideration that they have signed this oath? Does it mean anything anymore? And what was the, what, what, why did we you know, need the oath in the first place? Uh, it comes a long way, the issue of the oath, that nurses have to commit themselves to their profession. Because if you actually look at the, at the oath itself, it talks about the health of the patient, mm. that it will be my first consideration, for example, mm. and that I will hold in confidence uh, all personal matters to the you know, that are concerning the patient. So these are the issues that we're pledging ourselves as nurses uh, that will endeavor to practice the profession with conscience and with dignity. So these are the issues that are in. They are actually committing ourselves as nurses. 
Yes, you are talking about those nurses who are not actually uh, doing all these things that you are saying. It's not that they didn't go through this. They did. But as I'm saying, circumstances at times, they make them to do these things. And I'm saying that we don't condone. We actually, even our own members, we deal with our members who we find that the issues which they are actually uh, wrong and they are actually doing to the patients. So we deal with our members. You know, the reason I wanted us to have this conversation today is, um, again, I don't know what the role of the media is, but daily we, we're just confronted with with um, nurses who are overworked. So because of that, they're uncaring, they're lazy, they're ruthless, they're incompetent. And, and I guess you all suffer from burnout at some point. But mm. w- what do you want to see the media do for your organization in order to... So that people can empathize with you, so that we can support our nurses as opposed to berate them all the time for not doing the right thing. Uh, Well, I would say firstly the media, uh, it, it is right that they raise these issues that are actually happening in our society. There's nothing wrong with that. But at the same time, the media must be visible when we are doing good for the, for, you know, for, 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 this, for the citizens of this country. Because most of the time you find that the good things that we do, they are not highlighted by the media. Mm-hmm. They always want to go and get the bad things. And that is discouraging nurses. As a result, you find that there is no relationship of media and the nurses because of what is happening. But we are quite happy. When I was looking at the conference, nurses' conference, and looking at the media, the, the turnout of the media supporting the nurses, it was very good. So really, I salute the media in that. There are so many radio stations, television, and whatnot. So all of them, they actually came up, which we appreciate. So the, the good things that are done by nurses. Look, for example, the issue of prevention of mother-to-child transmission. Mm-hmm. And it is the nurses that are at the forefront that made it to decrease from 8% to 2.5%. It is the nurses program. They actually lead that program. So there are good things that nurses are doing. Nurses working in rural areas that are actually suffering. You know, with the infrastructure when you see, but those nurses are still working there, they're still taking care of their communities. So there is a lot that is good that is done by the nurses. And I'm saying the media should be visible to actually ensure that they highlight these things, not only the wrong things. Well, the minister also acknowledged that nurses are the backbone of primary health care in the country. And uh, as, 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 as far as um, the, a commitment also at your conference, he committed to implementing the nursing strategy. Are you able to share some of it with us the, and, and the time frames thereof of implementing the strategy? Yes, the minister committed to the nursing strategy. The nursing strategy was launched, and the nursing strategy, one of the things that I would actually highlight, the issue of nursing education and training. Uh, if you look at, at education, you find that the education of nursing, of nurses, it's at the universities and at the colleges, and these are things, but it's the same year, for example, a professional nurse will actually undergo training. She will be four years at a training college and also at the university. Mm-hmm. So these are the issues that we are actually going to be dealing with. And also the, uh, the, the issue of 
continuous professional development, which we also need as nurses, that we need to, as the nursing council now is on the road to actually ensure that we do have this continuous professional development. And the other issue was the issue of the white uniform, the, uh, <laughs> the, the uniform for the nurses. It is, it is coming up because at the summit we actually address the issue of the uniform and we know exactly, but we're just waiting for the department to actually supply the uniform to the nurses because we want the nurses to be the same in the uniform, not to have this one and that one and that one, mm. buying from different, buying from different, uh, 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 service providers. Mm. So, these are some of the issues that are actually raised. And the minister has got a task team, ministerial task team, that is actually looking at these things and also on the norms and standards. So these, uh, these things are actually going on. Okay, and what's the time frame for the strategy to be implemented? Do you know? The, the uniform, for example, was supposed to be implemented this year, but looking at the processes that are taking place, surely maybe it will be implemented next year. And uh, actually norms... Also, uh, next year, surely, because the team will actually be finishing maybe uh, by next year. Mm. You know, I, I, I remember growing up, uniform was so beautiful, you know, um, and, and the nurses looked very dignified. And, and, and I think they carried that oath around with them because the uniform just meant that. While you wear that uniform, you're going to be a nurse and remain a nurse. And I think it yes. is very important that uh, it, is, it is brought back. Um, yes. And later on, I'm talking to Nelouise Gay of the Nurses Education Association. So we'll also try and, and, and look at the education and why it's not attracting as many people as possible because there is a shortage, Dorothy, isn't there, of nursing. It's worldwide. Yes, there is a shortage of nurses worldwide, but they are the, the, the youth, they are attracted to nursing because look at the colleges, when they advertise to actually get students, you'll find that you get thousands and thousands of applications. So it's not that they are not attracted, but I should think that what is important is that we must make the environment of nursing students, mm-hmm. uh, you know, conducive for them to understand nursing from the very wet go, so that by the time they leave the college or the universities, they know that they are committed to this profession. Dorothy, thank you so much for chatting to us. It's been an eye-opener, if anything. And as those strategies become implemented, send us some information and let us let us help you throughout this process and hope you know, make sure that everybody understands what your challenges are. We'll definitely do that. Thank you for talking to us. Thank you very much. Okay. That was Dorothy Matebeni, who is the president of the Democratic Nursing Organization of South Africa, and you may find them on www.denosa.org.za. As I said, coming back, we're talking to Neloise Gea, who is the CEO of the Nurses Education Association. Otherwise, on SAFM. Now, the Nurses Education Association's core goal is to become the internationally acclaimed professional organization of choice for nurses involved in nursing education in South Africa. Here to discuss the education of nurses is registered nurse, midwife, tutor, uh, nurse administrator, and CEO of NEA. Neloise Gaya, welcome and thank you for joining us. Good afternoon and thank you for the invitation. Good afternoon to you and the listeners. You heard our conversation with Dorothy, did you? Yes. I did indeed, thanks. <laughs> uh, what, what were your comments at the conference? Did you attend the conference? Yes, I was there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and indeed, it did, it did go well. 
Um, and we had really good discussions at the conference. And there was um, an excited vibe amongst nurses. Um, so we do hope that that carries forth into, into the areas where they work. Mm-hmm. Now, you, what prompted you to start the Nurses Education Association? That was many years ago, in the 80s. Mm-hmm. We, uh, it was about curriculum development, and that is how the organization started. And then when the curriculums were done in the 80s, they sort of floundered a bit and they decided to make it a general nursing education association. So mm-hmm. since 1981, this organization has been in existence for, for 30 odd years. Was it to complement whatever was there that existed as far as uh, training colleges? Um, you know, because it still hasn't addressed the shortage of nursing. Well, in the 80s, there wasn't a shortage, but it was the time that they moved to the development of a new comprehensive course in nursing that was um, initiated around 1986. Mm-hmm. What they needed was um, some capacity building around curriculum development, and that is where the whole um, initiative started. It's, it's basically around support for nurse educators, nursing education, and then also advocacy for nursing education and the, and the profession in general. You say there wasn't a shortage then because we produced so many gorgeous nurses that were, that were, you know, attracted to other countries that were, you know, uh, left us for greener pastures. And I, I don't know if it was because of salaries or was it because of um, uh, the, the kinds of uh, uh, places they were working at. What do you think was the reason or what is the reason for our shortage of nurses now? Well, firstly, um, the, many of people have left the profession, and while we saw on the council, nursing council statistics, at some stage the high number of people applying to have the qualifications verified by the council in order to work in other countries, we've seen that drop quite significantly. But I think another issue is around um, the new South Africa after 94, the opportunities and equal opportunities for women really increased and generally nurses are really good organizers and they tended to move and to start their own businesses because there were so many opportunities. Mm-hmm. And at the same time as well we had the restructuring of the nursing colleges in the late nineties. And so the opportunities and the and the positions for training, funded positions for training decreased because of various reasons. And we found that less and less people were trained and we ended up with also leaving the services uh, for for other opportunities, although they're not necessarily leaving the country anymore. Mm. How how can we attract young school leavers to 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 the nursing profession? Well, I think one of the things that we need to do is to make people aware of the variety that nursing offers them. Um, in in the US and the UK, they've they had a campaign around nursing as a profession, mm-hmm. and that made a difference. And I think what we need to do is, um, is develop a campaign, and there's an organization, the Forum for Professional Nurse Leaders. The, the Forum the for? I beg your pardon? For, sorry, the Forum for Professional Nurse Leaders. Okay. And they were looking into setting up a campaign to uh, improve the image of nursing. Mm-hmm. We look forward um, to... You know, to having a, a different picture of what nurses do. 
Because if you look at the research that was done around the image of the profession, you see that people still have a lot of respect for nurses. Mm. You get to the question whether they want their children to be nurses, it's very low. (laughs) (laughs) So nobody wants their children to go in there. I think that is the one thing we need to sort of market the profession as as a very rewarding career and not only as a as a job opportunity, there is a there is an element of people wanting to care for other people that needs to be met. But secondly, as well, I think also the move of nursing education into the higher education arena, because mm. um, we expect them in future to be diagnosing and treating people. I think that will um, all add up if we can get it right. Don't you think we should have open days, maybe, for for young uh, matriculants to come in and to see, um, (laughs) I don't know if it will scare them off or attract them, really, but just to see, you know, job shadow nurses? Well, I think that is what was done in the early years uh, when marketing was still, you know, well done or very prominent, and that has been scaled down mainly, mainly around funding, I guess, um, and that hasn't happened because recruiting nurses or new recruits into nursing was never a problem. Mm. But that's probably something because um, sometimes people also romanticize this white uniform that we used to have. But I think it will make a difference if we give people an opportunity to see what it's all about and, the, and you know, the, the challenging environment in terms of not being difficult but also making a difference to people's lives that the nursing profession can make. I do think it will make a difference. Do you think signing that oath makes a difference at all? Um, yes and no. Um, it, is, it is, in a certain sense, it becomes such a routine matter that people do it. So when they fresh in the profession, I think it, it's very important for them and it's wonderful to attend those ceremonies where they do make the oath and um, they go off um, away from from all the supervision and support that they had at the nursing education institution where they trained, mm-hmm. and they find themselves on their own in a very difficult working environment. Um, and there's lots of emphasis being placed on making uh, creating healthy work environments for nurses because if it's healthy for nurses, patients will do well in that particular environment. So um, yes, it does make a difference, but. If uh, the pressures of the environment and the reality attacks you, it becomes very difficult to sort of keep to that promise that you've made. Hmm. I find that difficult, though, you know, because by signing it, really, regardless of the circumstances, your, your, your first responsibility is to your patient, regardless of your environment. No, absolutely. I, I support that fully, because at the end of the day, it's a, uh, if there weren't patients that needed you, there would be no nurse. Exactly. So uh, that is a requirement, but um, the, you know it works both ways. If you, if you, in order for a worker to support or a nurse to support um, patients who provide good care, there needs to be care for the nurses. I mean, one of the issues that we are always concerned about is that um, services have to be delivered in resource-poor environments, and uh, it becomes a real challenge to try and deliver. Um, services when you don't really have the, the tools, the equipment, or the other stock actually mm. to treat the patients. Mm. So, so um, there is quite a lot of challenges still available, but it doesn't justify us doing the wrong thing as nurses. Well, I thank you for your time and thanks for joining us. I wish you all the best 
in attracting more and, and producing more nurses for this country because we need them desperately. So, you know, go ahead and, and, and do a campaign or whatever it is that you are talking about, but I think it needs, it needs us to partner with you maybe as well to make it a success. I will take you up on that invitation. Oh, Thank yes, you. for sure, for sure. Thanks, Nia Louise. Thank you. And good luck. It's now time for news headlines, and when we come back, we're speaking with Tracy Curtis-Taylor, our pilot who's going on a daring, daring flight. Uh, and it's now time for news headlines with... Uh Otherwise, on SAFM. Pilot Tracy Curtis-Taylor will embark on a journey to fly an open cockpit biplane from Cape Town to Goodwood in the UK. Tracy, welcome. Thank you. <laughs> I think you're totally, totally out of your mind. <laughs> Look, on the face of it, I, I agree. It probably looks just completely bonkers. But the fact is, I've been flying old aeroplanes for the last 25 years. I've had this ongoing love affair with Africa, and it just seems to be the perfect sort of convergence of lots of themes, I suppose, in my own life. And to sort of be, again, here, about to embark on it, recreating this astonishing flight that was first done in 1928. I, I feel fantastically lucky, I have to tell you. I can't think of anything I'd rather be doing. Well, I'm envious, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm envious, I tell you. Tell me how you got to hear about Mary Heath the first time. Well, I heard about her about four years ago. You know, she is not well known. In fact, she's virtually been forgotten in history, although in the late 1920s, she was outstanding. I mean, she was one of the first female Olympic athletes, so she made a name for herself like that. Mm -hmm. And then she found aviation, flying, learned to fly, and three years later did this flight. You know, she made her name really in racing, you know, pylon racing. Mm -hmm. So she really cut a figure, a society figure in the late 1920s in England, but really put her name on the map with this flight of Africa in 1928. So she was the first person to fly it in a light aircraft. And it was really the crowning achievement of her life. But as I said, she has been largely forgotten. Nobody's heard about her. Um, so part of, part of the motivation behind my flight is really to try and give her her place in history and, and indeed to cele celebrate the achievements of all the early aviators. I mean, I'm just, I take my hat off to these people. The courage and the determination is just phenomenal, quite honestly. Well, we, I'm, I'm happy that you're doing this during our time, so you'll carve your place in history as well uh, because you, <laughs> you, you have a program. You're retracing her steps from South Africa to... to, to to Goodwood, but you, you have a plan of what to do in all these different countries uh, that you may stop at. Well, you know, the logistical organization behind this, it's taken really intensive work over the last two years with all of the bureaucratic dimension, just the overflight permissions and dealing with all the different countries, getting the, the avgas, the fuel that I use for my piston engine aircraft, so it's, it's a, a rare commodity in Africa, so just getting it into position at, you know, we're stopping at some 55 airports, mm. so this is, this is huge, it's logistically huge, um, so that's a big, that's a big aspect of my flight, really, that Mary Heath didn't deal with back in the late 20s, mm. you know, most of this was British East Africa, so there were none of the boundary and border issues, she could just put motor fuel in her aeroplane, 
which was, you know, readily available. So I've got problems, I've got <laughs> challenges that she doesn't have, in fact. But on, on the sort of navigation side, things are a little bit easier for me. I do have a GPS and I've obviously got very good maps and things. You know, she was just tearing pages out of road atlases. Um, so it was very, very basic. Now, as, as you go through the, the different countries, uh, you meeting other women in, in different fields. What are you hoping to achieve? Well, I think, you know, one of the things with Mary Heath, she, was, she really was a sort of iconic figure in terms of trying to establish Equality, recognition for what women could do, you know, in a very male-dominated area, aviation. Mm -hmm. So what, one of the things I'm trying to do is, with my flight, is to, to really highlight what women are doing up Africa and how women are changing Africa through, again, education, uh, career, you know, ambitious career moves and so forth. So I'm meeting people in the legal profession. I'm meeting other pilots, um, you know, uh, medical people, etc. And, and conservation is also, you know, we're, we're mm. intersecting with the Tusk mm. um, Conservancy, you know, their activities at the Lewa Conservancy in, in Kenya. So I'm really sort of, you know, I'm really interested in the animals as well, frankly. It was one of the first things that, that drew me to Africa, you mm. know, these exotic animals in this epic landscape. So I'm just delighted that we can also, you know, spotlight some of the things they're doing. Are we going to see a, a, a compilation of these stories and the people we're meeting in a, maybe a form of a documentary or a book? Well, yes. I, you know, I, I've got an aeroplane, a support aircraft, which is, which is carrying a film crew. You know, we've got a four-man film crew. Nylon Films are making a, a feature-long documentary film about Mary Heath's flight and about my flight and, mm -hmm. of course, the trip as we go up Africa. Mm -hmm. So I've also got six cameras on my aeroplane so this is going to be some of the most comprehensive footage ever shot from an old aeroplane at low level mm. in Africa so the, the coverage will be phenomenal that will be out in 2014 and I'm already sort of fielding offers for, for books and things so I think there'll be all sorts of things and frankly if we can make a real success of this in Africa my plan is is to go on and do other trips now, Tracy, for someone who's listening has no idea what we're talking about, can you paint a picture for us of this aeroplane and the fact that it's topless and you're not wearing a, hel a helmet or anything like that? <laughs> no, I, I am wearing a helmet. Oh, are you? Thank it's God for that. Aeroplane. It's, it, this is a Boeing Stearman. It's an absolutely classic biplane, which is an open cockpit with two wings. So it's all that sort of wing bracing, which is really 1920s technology. So it's a very strong and stable airplane, I have to say, but it is open cockpit, so I'm exposed to the elements. It's long, hot hours. You know, it's physically actually very demanding, but I've got a sort of leather, a leather helmet and goggles. Mm. Um, you know, I've got to be reasonably well wrapped up, but I'm expecting warmer temperatures, obviously, as we fly, fly north um, from South Africa. But, of course, I'm also flying back into the English, the European winter. Mm. The plan is... Although I leave on the 1st of November, I'm going to be back in Europe, you know, the first week of December. If, if, if all goes according to plan, so I'll be potentially flying back into the European winter. So just trying to dress for this expedition has, <laughs> has been quite a challenge, quite honestly. Now I'm worried about your, your, your beauty routine, you know, moisturizer, you know, hairbrush and those kinds of things. Hey, look, I'm telling you, I've got a lot of product on board this aeroplane. That was the one thing I wasn't prepared to compromise with. So I, I you know, I've got all my hair dryer and, and specialty, you know, specialty products for hair, which is a big concern. But yeah, skin is, 
you know, you do. You need a lot of stuff, a lot of sunblock and, and so forth. So I do have... I'm not going light, I can tell you. <laughs> but what are the safety precautions you have to be dealing with? Well, look, I, I'm carrying basic, you know, survival equipment. I've got, you know, I, I am taking a parachute, but I don't honestly expect to wear it for most of the trip. Um, you know, the airplane has been restored, so it's it's very, very reliable. I suppose in the worst case, you know, it would be something like an engine failure, which would be, you know, it, it's a possibility, but it's a remote possibility. And, of course, when you're out there in pretty inhospitable terrain, there aren't many alternates. So, you know, worst case, I might just have to put the airplane down wherever I can. But, you know, that's worst case scenario. I've obviously got great communications with my support airplane, so if I do have a problem, that's my first line of defense. But, you know, I've, I've just got to be self-sufficient with it, really. So, you know, because you just... There is a risk of getting sort of isolated or cut off or if I'm out of radio control, etc. But we have, you know, we've looked at every possibility. We've got, we've got safety procedures in place and, and good, you know, good support. So I think it's as good as it can be. You know, there is a risk, but it's a, it's a calculated risk and a, and a managed risk. So I, I understand that and I accept that. And how's your family feeling towards your flight? <laughs> well, I haven't spoken to my parents for the last month. They're all in New Zealand, and my mother's been away traveling. So, you know, look, they are concerned, but they, I think they just recognize that these are the sorts of things I do. I've been flying for a long time. Mm. I mean, obviously nothing on this scale. You know, I've never undertaken anything like this before, so it is a huge physical and mental challenge. But, but um, you know, as I said, I can't... I can't imagine not doing it, frankly. I feel like almost my whole life has been a preparation for this. And I've just been kind of, you know, that idea has, has been crystallizing for a long time. So I'm, uh, I'm excited. I'm nervous. But I'm, I just think it'll be great. I can't wait to get going now, to be honest. Tracy, stay on the line for us, please, for a minute. Sure. Thank you. This is my chance to be heard. I know I can help make a difference. This place is beautiful. You have a reason to vote in the 2014 national elections, but are you registered? Registration stations open on 9 and 10 November 2013. Remember to take your green ID book or smart card with you. You can also SMS your ID number to 32810 to check if you're registered or visit elections.org.za. Your vote is a celebration of 20 years of democracy. IEC, I vote South Africa. Standard SMS rates apply. You asked for it, and now it's here. FAFM proudly presents the best of the African connection with Richard Mwamba, the dance edition. Dance yourself silly in this compilation of the best dance numbers of the African Connection Fusion Wamba. Now available at reputable CD outlets. Otherwise, on SAFM. Tracy Curtis Taylor talking to us. Tracy, what are the last minute uh, things you're doing now? When's your flight exactly? Well, we're due to leave first thing Friday morning, um, so actually what I'm doing is really monitoring the weather closely. Um, it, the week is not looking great, it must be said. We were going to try and do some some filming yesterday, but, you know, all that sort of advection fog and low cloud rolled in. So there was no flying yesterday. I'm not flying today. 
um, had some magnificent flying around the Cape, you know, just flew low level around the Cape on Sunday and around the waterfront on Saturday for all, all the things that were going on. So I've done some lovely flying, but I'm just anxiously watching what's happening now. You know, clearly this is incredible weather here in Cape Town. Mm. You know, it just closes in so quickly. It's so changeable. It's, you know, it's this maritime and peninsular influence off here. So... It's the, the current forecast is not great up this southern and eastern coast because, of course, I'm tracking from Cape Town to George and Port Elizabeth for the first night and then on to East London and Durban for the second. And at the moment, it's looking like thunderstorms and, you know, and easterly winds, which, which is a problem for me because I'm only flying slowly. So, mm. you know, buzzing along at 90 miles an hour with a 30-mile-an-hour headwind, you oh. know, it carves... 30% of my airspeed off, mm-hmm. my ground speed. So, so if it's really screaming winds, I just won't be able to take off because I just won't get the range in the aeroplane. So I'm a little bit anxious about the weather. I think that's going to be the hardest aspect in many ways, mm-hmm. you know, just getting over the, over the high country through to, to Johannesburg. So that, that's my biggest concern at the moment, to be honest, the weather. Yeah, have, you, have, you found out what, that, have you found out what it will look like on Friday at least? Yes, I have. I, I went up to see the, 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 the weather office at the Cape Town International, um, you know, the control tower. Mm-hmm. So everyone's being fantastically helpful. Just, you know, so we're just getting as much information as possible, looking at the satellite imagery. But there's a fair degree of unpredictability with the weather here. Yes. You know, whatever's forecast, sometimes it just moves through more quickly or, you know, something shifts. So it's, it's a quite a complicated weather pattern here in the Cape. And it's been interesting just watching that over the last two weeks. No. I mean, I've just been fascinated watching how that mountain, Table Mountain, creates its own weather. <laughs> um, but, you know, just that whole phenomena of this huge bank of cloud over the mountain with high lenticular clouds, which for pilots means, you know, standing waves over the mountain, you know, severe, severe downdrafts on that leeward side and, and potential kind of rotor zone turbulence. But I've been amazed at the winds around here. So it really has been quite something just to be here watching that and thinking about how that affects an aeroplane like mine, which is a you know potentially potentially tricky. So that I, I need to say, welcome to the mother city. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I love it. It's so beautiful here, really. I do keep coming back, and uh, I, I hope to be back again even in the next few months once I've done the flight. So now, how how are we going to keep in touch with you? Are you on Twitter? Are you on Facebook? Or oh, I guess somebody is on it your is. behalf. All of those things, it's, it's our website is capetowntogoodwood.com, and that's obviously Goodwood, England, but, I, you know, it was lovely to find out there was a Goodwood, <laughs> Goodwood yeah, yeah. Well, which, which was spawned from the Goodwood in England back in 1905, so I, I didn't know about that connection, so it's rather nice. So, capetowntogoodwood.com. Dot com, and of course, are you at Tracy on Twitter? Yep, it is. It's Twitter, Facebook. I'm just about I'm just about to try and write the blog and get going with that really, but I've just been so preoccupied with the aeroplane. You know, we just got it cleared through customs last Tuesday. It took us three days to to reassemble it all and get it flying. So I was first flying it last Friday. So we've done about four or five hours. So everything, you know, the, the aeroplane is just performing beautifully. So I'm just so pleased about that. And, of course, now all the film crew are here, so we're just fine-tuning all the sound and camera equipment on the aeroplane. So we're good to go. We're good to go by close of play today. We've got a press reception here tomorrow at the airport. 
You know what um, I'm, what I'm interested... is coming and the British High Commissioner, etc. So, you know, it's, it's all lovely stuff here on in. And as I said, I just hope we get the weather and we get a clean departure on Friday morning. What I'm interested in is what you will be wearing throughout your trip. <laughs> because I think it's going to be okay. a wonderful fashion statement throughout, you know. What, you, what were your pants you're wearing, you know, for, for the hot, hot... You know, it's like an out-of-Africa movie that I'm imagining. Well, you know, there are elements of that, because that is really a huge inspiration for me. That film out of Africa has had a profound influence. In fact, the whole Karen Blixen story has, is, a, mm. is very resonant for me. I, so that, that, that scene in the movie where they're flying the tiger moth, you know, around, mm. around Kilimanjaro, and it's, it's just electrifying. And, and, and that is almost, you know, in a nutshell why I'm doing this, because it's just so beautiful to go and fly an airplane like that in a country like, in, in, on a continent like Africa, but that classical scene of, uh, you know, low over the, over the, you know, the savannah and the Serengeti and the mm. animals herding below. So I'm a, an incurable romantic, really. <laughs> so, um, so you, mu- you must sorry, document what you're wearing as well, just for our sakes, okay? Well, I, what I'm wearing is a flight suit, you know, a, a, which is really just for sort of, you know, safety as much as anything and coverage. Mm-hmm. But if it gets really hot, you know, I, I'm going to be there in shorts and a T-shirt as well. But I have got one or two finer outfits with me, as Mary Heath did in 1928. She had eight cocktail dresses with her. Oh, wow. <laughs> which she had all rolled up in a duffel bag in her little locker behind her feet. So I've got, look, I've got a couple of dresses with me, and, and I've also got a great big sheepskin jacket for when I, you know, when I'm coming through the, the northern part of Africa into Europe. So mm-hmm. as I said, I'm dressing for across the range here, you know, tropical Africa and winter in Europe. So it's khakis, khakis and cashmere, you know, so it's, I'm covering the range here. Listen, we wish you all the best, and, and we'll keep in touch. Thank you so much for taking time to talk to us, and Godspeed. That's a great pleasure. Thank you very much, and I hope to be back here again soon. Well, we'll talk to you when you are back. Thanks, Tracy. Now, you may find Tracy on um, website, com, and on Twitter, I guess it will be Cape Town to Goodwood. And, uh, yeah, we wish her all the best. It is now time for... Now, uh, shop, shop. Today we hear about Mr. Jack, a little dog in a big hurry.